Grace and peace, everyone, and welcome to KNEC Sermons, a podcast of Kurt Newton and East Calder, Church of Scotland. And let's listen to today's episode. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for your word. Inspire us and change us. By your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. There isn't much in the Gospels about Jesus' relationship with his family. But what seems to be clear about this encounter in Mark 3, which Robert read earlier, is that it appears that Jesus has been at least unsupported by his family in this incident. They even thought that he was out of his mind. The Greek word there could be translated as they thought he was mad, to which Jesus widens the definition of who his family is to include all who seek to do the will of God. His family didn't get him, nor did the teachers of the law who accused him of being evil in line with the prince of demons himself. What a terrible accusation to make. I wonder, is that what Jesus means by the unforgivable sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit? That by accusing Jesus of being in league with the devil, the teachers of the law were in turn slandering the Spirit of God as evil. We can't say for sure about this. Commentators can't pin this one down exactly. Surely, as Jesus says in the words before that, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. That that means what he says. Yet he goes on to say that whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Perhaps he simply means that such a sin would indeed be eternal until seems a contradiction in terms, until it was confessed by the sinner. For we know that God is faithful to forgive sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But let's look at how Jesus responds to his family's lack of support and the accusations of evil by the teachers of the law. He responds not by cowering away in a corner or disappearing or running away from his accusers, but by speaking up for himself confidently, his confidence placed firmly in the confidence of God. And with the knowledge that he was already a part of a sisterhood, a brotherhood, joined together by faith in God. Despite his troubles, he didn't lose heart, but fixed his eyes on what was yet unseen, the future glory ahead. As Paul points out in the second letter to the Corinthians, we look not what that can be seen, but what that cannot be seen. For what we can, what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
Paul in that chapter helps us to see that troubles in this life are expected but that they are what he calls a momentary affliction which actually help prepare us for a glorious future. Part of our daily renewal of our inner nature is how he describes it. I believe that Jesus teaches and embodies such an inner change in consciousness as he keeps his eyes on God, on grace, on love. That's the challenge, isn't it? Is to keep our eyes on God, on grace, on love, despite our momentary troubles. This approach to faith understands that nothing is static. The universe unfolds, our understanding of God evolves, develops, deepens, and our moral development evolves and changes as well. And often it's times of disruption that are significant doorways into whatever's next. Stephanie Spellers, a leading thinker on change and growth in the church, said recently that the current challenges of church and society are a way of God cracking open people for a greater possibility. I wonder, am I willing to be cracked open for a greater possibility? Paul speaks of us having this treasure in jars of clay and we know that the light from within is often only seen if there are cracks in the jar or holes in the jar. The writer Alan Roxburgh suggests that the Holy Spirit has been nudging and calling Christians to embrace a new imagination but the other one had to unravel for us to see it for what it was. In this sense, the malaise of our churches, he says, has been the work of God. And the theologian Richard Rohr says that a church that has been humbled by disruption and decline may be a less arrogant and presumptuous church it may have fewer illusions about its own power and centrality. It may become curious. It may be less willing to ally with the empires and powers that have so long defined it. It may finally admit how much it needs the true power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. That's a church that God can work with, he says. So as we go on in this time of disruption for everyone, might we see these afflictions as momentary and keep our eyes focused on God, on grace, on love, taking our lead from Jesus and our power from the same Holy Spirit who was in him and who is in us by faith. For it is as we hold fast to God's divine will day by day, moment by moment, that we will experience the inner transformation that we need, our society needs, and our whole world needs. And as we are transfigured from the inside out, God invites us to play our unique and essential part in the coming of the glorious and eternal kingdom. So are we ready to allow God to crack us open 
and to shine our lights through his spirit. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to KNEC Sermons. You can find more information on our website, www.knec4jesus.org.uk. Look forward to hearing and seeing you again. Grace and peace.